Okay, today my guest is Professor Atila Yaprak. I'll keep my introduction short to maximize our time with him. In the next 30 minutes or so, we'll talk about Atila as a person. Professor Yaprak is a thought leader and an esteemed scholar, and finally is a mentor to many PhD students and junior faculty. For the sake of time, I'll skip many of his accomplishments and give you a very quick uh, snapshot. Professor Yaprak is the Board of Visitors Fellow, the PhD Program Director, and Professor of Marketing and International Business at Wayne State University. He is the AIB historian. Professor Yaprak's areas of expertise are cross-national consumer behavior, international strategic alliances, international marketing strategy, and marketing in emerging economies. He has authored many articles in our top journals, such as GIPS, Journal of Business Research, Management International Review, International Marketing Review Journal, Journal of World Business, International Business Review, and International Marketing Review, among others. Attila received several uh, research grants from the US Department of Education and the NSF. He also received multiple teaching awards, including the Outstanding Marketing Professor Award from the Academy of Marketing Science. Thank Attila for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. First question, uh, what did you want to become when you were a child? I wanted to become a physician first, uh, but I also on the side wanted to become a soccer player or a football player and a soccer, eventually a soccer coach or football coach. And uh, what changed your mind? What changed your mind from soccer? Okay, I understand the physician, the doctor, Every mother wants their son to be a doctor in <laughs> Turkey. But uh, what, what changed from the glorious life of suckers to, uh, to life in academia? Well, I, I realized that I'm not as talented as uh, the soccer players who I was idealizing were. Um, you know, I had some talent, but I, I just wasn't as talented uh, in football or soccer. Uh, and I also discovered actually, as I was growing up, that I loved teaching and uh, I come from a family of teachers, actually. Both of my parents were teachers. Uh, my, on my mother's side, my uncle and his wife, my aunt, were teachers. Uh, and um, uh, also my, um, again, on my mother's side, uh, my other aunt, my mom's sister, was also a teacher. So, um, uh, you know, I, as, you know, growing up in this teacher family, um, I sort of developed a feel for what teaching involved. And, uh, you know, later on, when I was in uh, middle school and in high school, uh, just in classes and making presentations, uh, when asked, uh, I discovered that I, I loved that. I, I, I very much enjoyed uh, telling a story and, um, and embellishing the story with analogies and, you know, uh, bringing insights from, you know, other places and other things. Um, so I thought, you know, maybe I should, I should think about, um, you know, going into a pathway that will give me the opportunity to teach. Okay. So that's how I changed from wanting to become a footballer, you know, to 
uh, doing something more academic. In academia, how do you choose international business, international marketing, or uh, how, how do you choose international, basically, in academia? Well, actually, the, it's, a fun, it's a very interesting story. Uh, I came to the United States uh, to get an undergraduate degree followed by um, a master's degree and a doctoral degree if I qualified for that. Uh, there's, there's a you know, funny story behind this. I'll, I'll make it very short. Remember, I said that I wanted to become a physician. So in the Turkish um, entrance examinations, uh, I wrote uh, on the form as my choices, all the medical schools you know, that were listed uh, at that time, there were only three or four medical schools in Turkey and we had six choices. So uh, when the exam results were announced, I discovered that I could not get into any of the four I had listed. I got into other places, but not into the medical schools. So I, I, I was of course disappointed and, and you know, was sort of thinking about what to do and so forth. Uh, that gave me the opportunity to actually uh, take the study abroad exams uh, offered by the government uh, with which came a scholarship. Uh, and something that had been so disappointing to me, meaning not being able to get into medical school, actually you know, converted into, you know, became uh, something so positive. Uh, and that was the fact that I, I actually succeeded in these exams. And you know, out of hundreds, maybe you know, thousand people who took the exam, uh, there were only about a hundred uh, selected and only 35 to be sent to the United States. And I was one of the 35 picked. So I arrived in the United States and as it turned out, I ended up at Indiana University in Bloomington. And at the time that was the hub of, or one of the hubs of, um, international business um, knowledge development, let's say. Uh, for example, you know, the gurus of the time, um, Dick Farmer and Lee Nert uh, were there and they were actually raising doctoral student children, uh, you know, who included uh, people who are now IV's greats. Among them were, for example, Lee Radabaugh, uh, who was my cost accounting teacher um, when I was a sophomore, you know, uh, and uh, Jeff Arpan uh, and uh, David Ricks. Uh, you may have run into him at Ohio State. Um, uh, you know, they were all doctoral students at the time. And I was in uh, student government at IU and I was also on the soccer team, by the way, which you know I will get to later. <laughs> I eventually lived my dream, you know, by playing on the university soccer team. Uh, but in any case, while there, uh, taking courses, um, both as an undergrad and in the MBA program as an MBA student, um, I came to love 
IB. You know, I discovered a love for IB in me. And I thought, well, you know, this is, um, it looks like this is what I would like to pursue as a career in my, in my life. Uh, of course, this was an extension in one sense. This was an extension of my childhood interest in um, other cultures, other geographies, other people, other histories, and so on. So the seeds were there um, for the study of uh, interesting things, um, but uh, you know the, the seeds were sort of nurtured, um, you know, photosynthesis, so to speak, um, you know, by being at IU. Um, and, uh, you know, I later became friends with all of these people whose names I've mentioned because they too were young people. They were, you know, a little older than me. Uh, nonetheless, you know, uh, at parties and so on. For example, David Ricks and I were in a university uh, uh, organization together. It was a student organization where I was the president and he was the treasurer. Okay, <laughs> you know, so uh, you know the this kind of association, and of course they went, they were getting PhDs in IB uh, mm -hmm. or DBAs actually in IB, and you know they went on to other schools to become IB professors. So uh, there was kind of an osmosis there, you know, that that sort of fed an existing seed that was in in me, you know, and helped nourish that seed uh, into a plant. Actually, you're talking about a great group of people, a great co cohort, right? Yes, yes. Uh, usually PhD programs now have only one or two PhD students in IB or strategy uh, or international marketing. And uh, there's not enough numbers to, to flourish like that. It is a group of people in a cohort. Uh, yes, yes. Indeed, just as a, I'll add this, when I was thinking about doing doctoral work, after all, I had won this government scholarship. And if, you know, if I qualified, the government would help me during my doctoral study. Uh, I asked a number of my professors, uh, including both Dick Farmer and Lee Nert. And I remember to this day sitting across from Lee Nert in his office and asking, you know, I asked him, well, you know, what schools would you recommend? And he recommended a couple uh, or maybe three. Uh, UCLA was one of them because there was a former IU grad who was a professor there and so on. But he particularly underscored Georgia State. Uh, he said, look, our, our graduate uh, Jeff Arpan went there and, you know, they, are, they have been hiring some young people who are good. Uh, and of course, he was referring to John Daniels, Dwayne Kujawa, both of whom came from Michigan, the University of Michigan to Georgia State. And Jeff had gone to Georgia State from Indiana. Uh, and Jose, Jose de la Torre, who uh, was hired from Harvard to Georgia State. So he said to me, you know, they're putting together a young, uh, a team comprised of young people who are promising in Ivy. So I would recommend that, you know, you consider Georgia State carefully or very seriously. And I did. 
I applied to UCLA and Georgia State and you know other places, MIT because Dick Robinson was there. Uh, could not get into MIT, but I got into the other places. Then I I decided um, that I would go to Georgia State. You know simply because I knew Jeff and I thought. Um, having heard from Lee Nerd about these other people, because in those days, of course, no internet, no websites, nothing, you know. Yeah. Uh, so uh, then I ended up at Georgia State and uh, actually became a doctoral student of these people, uh, even though John Daniels had left by then, by the time I arrived. But Jose was there doing, Jawa was there, uh, and of course, Jeff was there. So, and as it turned out, I became the graduate assistant of Jose de la Torre. <laughs> I worked with him and then he went to INSEAD while I was there. So then I became, uh, I did my dissertation uh, under the mentorship of Jeff Arpan. So, you know, I, I come from this lineage uh, to IB. This week, uh, AIB posted Jose de la Torre's interviews and he, it's very lively. This is a great interview. I'm glad, I'm glad. Uh, regrets. What is one thing you wish you would have done or done differently uh, in the past? Uh, the one thing that I think I, I wish I would have done or would have done differently is uh, become more disciplined earlier in my life. Uh, I did... You know, as I was growing up, um, I was a multifaceted person. Uh, as I indicated earlier, you know, I played soccer in high school and uh, then in at the university. And I took part, uh, you know, I, I was active in student government, both in high school as well as uh, at IU, at Indiana University, when I was in the undergraduate program. Um, and as I think I mentioned, uh, you know, uh, or here is another thing which I did not yet mention, which is you know kind of an interesting part of my life, and that is, um, I was the lead singer and I played rhythm guitar in a in a band. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, and, you know, actually in two separate bands and in one band uh, in my hometown, which was more like the Beatles, you know, I played the rhythm guitar and sang uh, in the other ba a band, which is at my, which was in my high school. I was, I was only the singer because we were like Cliff Richard and the Shadows, you know, which were, <laughs> that was a big, big, um, very popular group at the time. And I was Cliff Richard, you know, of, of the time. So uh, because of all these multifaceted life activities, uh, I wasn't as really well prepared as an academic as I should have done, you know, as I should have been. Um, I should have focused more on my academics, you know, um, than I actually did. But of course I realized this during my undergraduate program. And uh, indeed in getting into the MBA program, I, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't say I struggled, but I really couldn't get into 
some of the MBA programs that I wanted to get into. I did get into IU's MBA program uh, and some others uh, as well. Um, so in the MBA program, I sort of came to my senses and I said, you know, I'm not going to become Cliff Richard and I'm not going to become, uh, you know, Pelé or Maradona you know, uh, and so forth. So I may as well, um, you know, do the other thing that I love. Uh, and that, of course, is teaching and learning and researching and so forth. Um, and of course, the, the researching part, I began developing in the MBA program. In the undergraduate program, of course, you know, I mean, I, I just sort of listened to professors' research stories and so forth. And of course, you know, uh, whatever they assigned us as readings, you know, I would see the research there. Uh, but I really didn't uh, sort of develop a love for it until later uh, in life. Let's talk about research then, since we started, uh, you started mentioning it. Um, how do you explain your research to people who don't read your work regularly? Say you're stranded in a, on the side of the road, you go to a pub, <coughs> uh, locals are curious about you. Uh, what do you say? to explain the importance of your research and uh, how you make a living uh, in, in this profession? Yes, I tell them that I study uh, human behavior. Uh, human behavior either uh, on its own or in organizations. Uh, of course, that would mean, uh, you know, if you carry it by extension, like managerial behavior in, uh, in business organizations and not in, for example, government organizations. Um, and I tell them that I feel that this is very important because um, the more we learn about how human beings behave, the more we can understand why certain things happen. Um, for example, what motivates an individual? You know, this is part of human behavior. For example, uh, you know, how can we, you know, what reward systems work in various geographies as compared to other geographies? Uh, what are the attitudinal uh, and value profiles of consumers, for instance, that lead them to purchasing uh, various products over other products? For example, why do they prefer buying local compared to buying global brands? or vice versa. Of course, you know, there are lots of people who prefer, uh, who seek out and prefer and chase uh, global brands, even though they may have equally high quality local brands available, you know. So uh, I explain to people that uh, studying behavior, whether we're studying behavior of individuals or of organizations can help us solve problems that humanity faces. 
can help us solve problems that organizations face. Uh, you know, as in, I, I gave you examples from the uh, consumer side, but how about on the organization side? For example, uh, you know, why does the firm internationalize? Well, you know, that is something that we need to understand and we need to understand deeply. Um, because only then will we be able to explain um, managerial behavior, managerial decision-making and so forth. Looking back at the published research or de developed literature, uh, what can you say about things that are omitted, that they, things that are neglected, maybe understudied, uh, that going forward for the next five to 10 years, especially these things are going to be more pressing or, or should uh, gain more uh, salience for, for, for yes. uh, investigation? I would say, especially in IB, um, deeper or more significant problems of humanity. There should be, in my view, um, more interest. You know, this, of course, would be sort of advice to younger scholars. You know, uh, my advice to younger scholars would be to search for and to explore problems um, that would help advanced, advance human life. Are we talking about this uh, uh, approach on responsible management uh, or uh, more ethical approaches to management? Are, are we talking about these or uh, are there no. more? No, I mean, that of course is part of it, but you know, my focus was more on interdisciplinary work. Uh, of course, this is only normal that every discipline has its own myopia. And of course we do too, IB has its own myopia. Uh, you know, it studies only these kinds of organizations, you know, and maybe these kinds of movements of those organizations. Uh, what I'm arguing is that IB should study broader questions that are more interdisciplinary. Uh, you know, that would shed light on, um, you know, for example, the psychology of those movements, the sociology involved in those movements. As an example, um, one of the human issues that the world or mankind is facing today and will likely face to a greater degree in the future is people movements, you know, emigration, uh, you know, legally or otherwise, and especially the otherwise part, um, you know, refugees and, you know, other kinds of people movements. Um, IB should, in my view, focus on these kinds of issues. Another example I'd like to give, which is a little far-fetched, but you know, you, you have to dream something, right? And begin moving toward that dream. And my dream would be, for example, 
um, research work with microbiologists, biologists, uh, environmental scientists, uh, you know, climate scientists, and so forth, so that we can help develop uh, solutions to problems that they are studying. But, you know, they, I believe, I don't know this, but I would guess, as an educated guess, that they too have their myopias and they are probably studying these, these issues, these problems, you know, from their narrow myopic perspectives. And I believe that if we were to blend our knowledge and our methods and our thinking with their knowledge and methods and thinking and so on, um, you know, that would give us a better synthesis of ways with which we can address these human problems. Interesting. With Odette Shankar, we're working on um, actually primates. Uh, we, we are doing some experiments now with a couple of researchers in France. And um, the idea is, uh, uh, how does it uh, equate? How does it work with the human side versus the primate side uh, with a lot of things taken out uh, from the context? It's pure, pure perfect uh, theory testing. Mm -hmm. uh, but the conversation between uh, us and the other researchers are really fascinating because we talk about research and yet we have completely different universe. Uh, these uh, mm -hmm. yes. people are coming from different universes. And uh, about interdisciplinary versus multidisciplinary research. Uh, I want to tie this thing to the future of IB scholarship about this changing culture of IB scholarship, this evolution of IB from where it was when you were going through the PhD program in India <clears throat> and how it uh, evolved to what it, what it is today. Uh, what can you say about the, the progress we're making? Are we losing something along the way? Are we maybe more fruitful now? Uh, what, what is your take on it? Uh, thank you. I think this is an important question for all of us to address. Um, first of all, let me give you at least my view on the evolution of IB as a field of study. I believe that... Um, in the beginning, IB uh, really asked questions that were germane to IB. Uh, for example, questions about foreign direct investment, questions about uh, modes of entry, uh, you know, things of that nature. Um, when IB was also studying the environment, you know, which is when for example, the, uh, the significance of culture study was underscored. Uh, though the studies of culture of the at the time uh, were not as sophisticated as of course culture study became later in the 1990s, especially. 
you know, with, of course, Hofstede's work and uh, others like Triambis and, you know, the Triambis crop of people uh, uh, and so on. Um, but I.B. studied essentially the environment and uh, questions that were specific to I.B., such as foreign direct investment and modes of entry, entry initially. Then uh, a new phase began with uh, interest in the functional areas of business. For example, uh, international finance, international marketing, you know, questions of international marketing, uh, you know, became to the fore. Uh, questions about international finance sort of, you know, started brewing uh, in the literature. Uh, questions about international management issues, you know, human resource management and, you know, managerial decision-making and, you know, stuff like that uh, uh, sort of emerged in the literature. Uh, and then uh, we moved into an era where uh, one of these uh, functional fields became more dominant. Okay? Of course, you know, we see this in the history of you know, everything that you know, we, we, we study. History is the study of these evolutionary uh, pathways, right? Um, so, and that field in our case that became dominant was international management and within international management, I would say strategy. Uh, so questions about strategy uh, became uh, sort of rose to prominence in the literature. Of course, this was only natural because uh, in the IB environment, uh, organizations were changing. For instance, we were getting increasingly more joint ventures, alliances, different kinds of partnerships, and um, you know, so on. You know, col collaborative ventures of, of you know many different faces, and as a result. Um, the study of these um, organizational forms, um, you know, organis organisms, let's say, because they were really organisms in, of course, a changing environment. You know, the study of these organisms uh, became an urgent need. And IV responded to this uh, with, of course, a burgeoning literature on, you know, strategic alliances and, uh, you know, joint ventures and other collaborative arrangements and so forth. Uh, since then, I would say maybe that was in the 1990s and going into the, two, into the 2000s. But then, of course, uh, with the arrival of the 2000s, you know, the new millennium and the profound technological advances, uh, you know, such as the, you know, oncoming of the internet and, you know, other kinds of uh, information technology. And, and of course, being able to do everything uh, cheaper and of course, you know, with, with greater facilitation and so forth. 
uh, even explosive, not just greater, but explosive facilitation. Um, IB, IB scholars focus changed to explaining IB activity in this new environment. Um, for example, in the international marketing field, which happened, subfield, let's say, you know, which is, which happens to be my area of research primarily, um, we began focusing on uh, international marketing, actually, I would say, international consumer behavior germane topics. For example, we began studying, you know, in other words, each of the subfields was getting microer, you know, we were getting more and more micro, focusing more and more on, um, you know, microer topics. Uh, as an example, in international consumer behavior research, you know, we started focusing on things like uh, you know, what is the psychological or the socio-psychological makeup of the consumer? You know, how do these positive dispositions and negative dispositions um, operate in the shaping of the consumer's identity, you know, and so forth? So I would say, this is just an example from international marketing. And of course, you know, from all the other sub subcategories, we can give other examples. Uh, but the point I wanna make is this, uh, as a result of all of this, IB has been, IB knowledge, IB scholarship has been growing, yes, but it's growing at a uh, sort of learning curve pace. Uh, rather than, you know, growing at uh, an exponential or even a, uh, you know, parabolic or parabolic uh, pace um, until uh, we get another big question. Um, you know, when we get a big question, and that could very well be, you know, the kinds of things I was talking about, the interface of, you know, environmental science with IB, the interface of uh, biology with IB, whatever, you know, uh, the interface of psychology and sociology with IB and so forth. If that interface were to give birth to um, the next big question in IB or big questions in IB, then we will see uh, quantum leap kinds of, you know, the curve will go from being like this to, you know, another jump. And of course, eventually it will again go into a learning curve until the yet another big question arrives, you know. So uh, this is the way I see IB's current, you know, state of the union, so to speak, uh, and what I what I foresee for its future. Oh, you're right. I mean, uh, at one point, 
and some of the guests uh, talking uh, in these interviews, they talk uh, very specifically about functional areas and they are very much vested in these uh, functional areas. And then uh, some people are very cautious in talking about the next phase of global, globalized firm or nationalized uh, economies, ideologies, perspectives. Uh, people are very uh, cautious uh, and th th there's no consensus on uh, what that next big thing is, the next big uh, wave at least is. So uh, I want to- And ask there shouldn't be. Incidentally, I, I like the fact that there is no consensus because the next quest big question will emerge. Uh, it's important for all of us as IB scholars to, to be at the forefront, but studying uh, you know, different things. Um, as long as these different things are inspired by, these different questions that we are studying are inspired by uh, helping human, helping solve human problems. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, I want to uh, talk about the advice mentoring part a little bit. What was the best advice you received when you were going through the PhD program? Uh, you mentioned um, a couple of giants uh, in the field, early, uh, early uh, version of the field. What was the best advice you received from them? I would say that the best advice I received from them <laughs> Incidentally, I'm not sure it's the best advice, but a good advice I received from them was that uh, in academic life, research and teaching go together. Uh, of course, that's something I had already realized, uh, you know, throughout my own education. Um, but of course, they always said, you know, they go together, but research is what counts you know, from a practical perspective. <laughs> Don't you make the mistake of, you know, doing some dreamy things, you know, like I want to help teach people, you know, and so on. Uh, you know, focus on your research. Uh, but research and teaching feed off of each other and they feed each other. Uh, of course, I realized that I had realized this sort of, you know, um, in sophomoric, you know, terms when I was in the program. And of course, I developed that notion later on as I, my personal professional life grew. Um, nonetheless, I mean, to this day, I, I believe that it is important for an academic person to never leave research, you know, even in retirement. Uh, of course, in retirement, you know, you'll do uh, certain kinds of research and, you know, maybe you'll write thought pieces, you know, uh, and so on, rather than actually doing empirical research as such. Uh, nonetheless, um, it is important to do it. It is important to explore questions and to extend and to expand 
current knowledge. But what some academics, I think, fall into the trap of, which I would advise against, is the fact that you know, this can sort of be, become their, they become obsessed with this, you know, they, meaning by this, I mean, they become obsessed with publishing only, you know. Uh, and I think, yes, one should pursue publishing, but one should also pursue uh, a more balanced approach to one's professional life as one should pursue a more balanced approach to one's personal life. For instance, it's important for me uh, to have a balanced personal life. My family is very important for me. You know, my, my wife, who's also a professor like you, uh, you know, we, I've, we have always supported each other's career development. Uh, even though it was very hard at times. Uh, for example, my wife, uh, at one point in her career, uh, became a program director at the National Science Foundation uh, during the Obama administration and lived in Washington, D.C. while I was living in Ann Arbor, Michigan, you know, with our children. Uh, but, you know, this was, of course, I supported this 150% because, you know, this was a wonderful opportunity for her professional growth um, and so forth. And, um, and of course, she supported, you know, my various, um, professional uh, pathway activities uh, along the way. And, you know, we raised three children and um, I think this is really one of our biggest life accomplishments. It, it is for both of us, in my opinion. Interesting. Uh, I want to ask you, I normally ask uh, people about uh, what's the advice for the junior faculty, the PhD students, but I want to ask you something about the mid-career uh, faculty, people who uh, have tenure, uh, post-tenure, what's the advice uh, in your experience, what's the advice that you would give to post-tenure people, mid-career, uh, nearing the... Uh, the advice I would give is as follows. First, try different kinds of things that you were unable to do when you were striving to get tenure. When, of course, your you know the the greatest proportion of your focus was on research and getting published, uh, you know, and of course earning uh, the honor of tenure. So post-tenure, you should try different things. Yes, that is true, but never ever leave research. Um, you know, you may slow down a little bit 
you know, it's only natural. We're all human beings and, uh, but don't ever let go. Never ever let go of your interest in exploration. Never ever let go of your interest in uh, raising graduate student children. You know, continue to raise children. Uh, and of course the children being your graduate students. Impact their lives in positive ways. Inspire in them the same kind of passion that you have for exploration and for research uh, so that they too will continue uh, exploring and expanding and extending, you know, pushing the frontiers of um, knowledge uh, or any other, uh, you know, phenomenon that they are passionate about. Perfect, thank you. Now for the sake of time, uh, last question. What's the question that I should have asked you but haven't? Um, I would say it's like, what do I consider to be my life's story? What do I consider my life's, uh, shall we say, most significant accomplishment? And my answer to that, yes, my answer to that would be pursuing what I love and giving love. I inject, I have, I think throughout my life, injected love in practically everything I've done. I've injected love into my research projects. I've injected love into my teaching. I've inject and continue to do so. I've injected love into raising my doctoral student children, you know, whether I was their mentor or served on their committees or helped them develop even without serving on their committees. And I've, of course, injected love into my family and continue to do so. Uh, and I would consider really, you know, maybe the following would be a, a nice way to summarize this. And that would be the pursuit of a balanced life filled with love. I think that's the best description I can give it. Perfect. Thank you so much for this uh, very interesting interview. Uh, I learned a lot. I'm sure the audience will agree with me. Thank you. Thank you so much for giving me this opportunity, Ilgaz. And of course, I look forward to seeing you at various conferences and so on. Okay. And good luck to you and your wife in your careers. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.